From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up And take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, What if you could travel, surf, and train jiu-jitsu for the rest of your life? And what if by building a for-profit business with a new economic model, you could help other people live that lifestyle too? That's one of the dreams of the Kekoa Collective, a business rooted in Hawaii but with big plans to make a big splash across the jiu-jitsu world. After becoming disillusioned with corporate America, Dewey Doan decided to do something different. Together with his business partner, Aubrey Koenig, Dewey started Kekoa in 2009. After some fits and starts and ups and downs, the company is stepping out on the IBJJF tournament scene this year. But they have more creative plans than just to sell shirts. Many of you listening to this podcast know and remember Jeffrey Huang, who trained for years at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and is still making noise on the brown-built competition scene across the country. He's living and working in Hawaii now, and you'll hear about his role with Kekoa later in the show. This week, I talked with Dewey, Aubrey, and Jeff about Kakoa's vision, its innovative revenue-sharing model that's designed to help other jiu-jitsu academies grow, about how they actually open their store space for community projects not related to jiu-jitsu, about the real story behind an iconic brand photograph, and much, much more. Before we get to that, though, let's hit the news quick. If we missed anything, please let us know. You can always email the show at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can get at us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We're on Twitter and Instagram, very active on Instagram at Dirty White Belt, and we're on Twitter at DWB Radio. The next few weekends are packed, but today is all about Hodger versus Buchecha for a lot of us that love sport jiu-jitsu. So I'm recording this show about two hours before that match happens. So unless you're listening live, you're probably already going to have seen it. So I'm just going to be upfront about two things. First of all, in my opinion, Hodger Gracie is the best and most accomplished sport jiu-jitsu competitor of all time. And second, I think Buchecha is most likely going to win today. He's got youth on his side. He's got more recent competition experience. But I also believe both guys are to be commended for putting on this clash of the titans that everybody in the jiu-jitsu world wants to see. And I'm really excited to watch it. So hopefully you've watched and enjoyed it. U.S. Grappling Submission Only Raleigh is also next weekend. That's July 29th in Raleigh. You can still sign up, and I encourage you to do so. It's one of the few opportunities to compete in a true submission-only format where two people step on the mat, and the only way the match ends is if one of them taps. As you know, U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for many reasons, so please get out and support that. Unfortunately, I won't be able to compete this time, but I will be hanging out there for a couple of hours, so if you see me, come, uh, come say hi and talk about the show and what you might like to see. The following weekend, I'll be in Maryland for something that I'm really stoked about. It's a seminar with the legendary Ricardo De La Hiva. Now, Master De La Hiva has long been on my list of dream instructors to train with, and the event is going to be at my friend Vicente Jr.'s school, BJJ Conquest, in Maryland. VJ himself is an incredibly accomplished fourth-degree black belt, and I'm planning to interview both of them. So I'm telling you this for two reasons. First of all, sign up for that if you can on August 5th. You, it's rare that you get the opportunity to train with a legend, and I'm told that Master De La Hiva's seminars are incredible. 
Also, if you know of anyone else that will be at that seminar that you want to hear on the show, please let me know either in the comments of the show or on email, Twitter, or Instagram, and I'll try my best to interview them. So that's the news this week. On the other side of this break, we're going to get to our featured interview with the Kekoa Collective. North Carolina. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. When I interview people from an organization, at first I usually ask them to explain their role within the organization, and that's just to get the conversation started. I knew that Dewey Doan was the founder of the Kekoa Collective, so I expected him just to say his name and that he was the founder. But his answer was actually a little different. Okay, my name is Dewey Doan. What is my role? My role is kind of... <laughs> I think I'm a storyteller. Over the next few hours, I learned exactly how true that was and how the story of Kekoa fits into the story of jiu-jitsu in America. Like a lot of origin stories, it starts with a day job and it takes a few unexpected turns along the way. I'll let Dewey start it. Originally, you know, we, I basically started training jiu-jitsu in 2007, and, um, man, I, I fell in love right away. And before that, my, my biggest love and passion has been surfing. So I started surfing way late in life, I think around 16 or so. And the moment I... Yeah, late, yeah, 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 you know, 16. And then the moment I started surfing, I mean, it changed my life. And I... I was completely obsessed. And um, so, you know, went to college, did all that, and got out of college, and I go, you know, holy shit, what am I supposed to do? You know, I got a couple college degree, and and one, one of the first jobs I, I think I had was uh, I got hired outside of college to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. And uh, this is during mid-'80s. The recession in America was kind of prevalent, and for me to find a job that was, you know, that pays well with all the benefits. I was so happy. And what I want to do is I want to please my parents, you know. And little I know, I, I, I just, that was not for me. I mean, you know, went down to L.A., start the training in less than two weeks. I, I, I basically just bought a one-way ticket and <laughs> moved to Hawaii. <laughs> so that's how I kind of started my, my following my passion for surfing. And in 2000. And seven, when I started jujitsu, it was the same kind of addiction. You know, I was like, "Wow, I never done such a thing." That was so. I, I can't explain it back then. I didn't. I didn't know what word can describe to it. You know, and I think like everybody else, when you start jujitsu, you get into because the effectiveness of it and UFC and Hoyt Gracie and the whole Gracie family became so amazingly powerful. And I'm not a fighter. I mean, I've always been kind of. An outdoor guy. I love surfing, snowboarding, and, and not much about indoor or let alone martial art. And it's just not something I enjoy. Period. You know. And well, you saw parallels with surfing. 
and jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah, but, but only after I got into it, you know. So when I got into jiu-jitsu, I just began to see this whole tribe of humans, you know. It's like very similar to, surf, to surfers, you know. Like when I first went to uh, Pan Am, um, that was, I don't know what year it was. It was like the first Pan Am, and I got there to the pyramid, and I saw people come from everywhere. And back then it was fairly small, but yet... No matter where you come from, uh, what country, what language you spoke, there's a common denominator, there's common bond, people connected across, you know, across, you know, the language barriers and all that. And there's a close knit to it. It's like out of the blue, oh, you trained jiu-jitsu, and there's an instant friendship. And surfers are the same way, you know, no matter where you go, um, when you travel and you meet another surfer, there's an instant bond, there's an instant connection there. And no one can understand that unless you surf, and no one can understand that unless you train jiu-jitsu. And that's what I kind of saw. So back then, in 2007, um, I worked with with a part, uh, with a guy named Arby Koenig, who is now my, my business partner. And he was actually relocated to New York City. And when I started training jiu-jitsu, I called him up and go, hey, man, you might want to try this thing. Because he is also a surfer, and he grew up in Miami, and for the first time he's moving to New York City where there's no surf, and the winter is long and cold. And I told him, just, just go try jiu-jitsu. So he did, and same thing happened to him. And oh, you introduced him to jiu-jitsu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be, so I always tell him, hey, just, just go. So he actually... You know, went to Henzo Gracie, and it was Henzo to give him his first class introduction. And so basically we started, you know, training jiu-jitsu, and two years later, um, I worked for a clothing uh, company, a surf brand, and at that time there was no jiu-jitsu clothing at all. And I think there was tap out, mm-hmm. and affliction came after. Otherwise, no, there was nothing. Uh, and the rest of it was really, you know, kill me, kick me, choke me, and... You know, I'm a badass, and we didn't want that. So we thought, hey, you know, we should do something that perpetuate and promote the gentle art. You know, the the, the beauty of jujitsu. Kind of, that's what we did. And um, so, in 2009, know nothing about internet whatsoever, and we basically, um, I kind of talk into one of my best friends who is a graphic artist, his name is Joe Highfield, who's also a partner in the business, to kind of help us design the first collection of Kikoa. So I think it was August, I think, in 2009, we launched Kikoa for the first time. Dewey was the first of the Kekoa partners to train jiu-jitsu, but as you might have picked up there, if you ask his business partner, Aubrey Koenig, about Aubrey's first jiu-jitsu experience, he has a story that a lot of us would be jealous of. Basically, a long story short, Dewey and I were working in the surf industry. You know, I met Dewey back when I was 18, and we worked in the same company for, with the same company for many years. And after a bunch of, um, you know, traveling and moving around, I ended up in New York. And as Dewey said, I... You know, I wasn't going to the beach every day and, and, and surfing and, and doing all the things that were in my day-to-day lifestyle. And then Dewey had just started uh, his jiu-jitsu journey out in California, and he calls me up and he says, hey, you've got to try this jiu-jitsu thing. You're going to love it. And, and I, said, I said, Dewey, I'm not into breaking bricks with my face. I don't know, you know, I don't know what you're into these days, but that's not my style, you know. And the next thing you know, he goes, Obs, trust me. You know, and the man's never really steered me wrong. He said, you've got to go give this a shot. So he actually called and set up an intro class for me. And I go over to Hensel Gracie Academy in New York, walk in, 
go down into their basement. At that time, it was just one floor. And, you know, I start talking with this guy that, that's speaking, you know, slightly broken English, but, but communicating just fine, very, you know, eccentric personality. And we're talking about surfing and all this stuff, you know, only to find out, you know, weeks and months later that that was Henzo Gracie. But he goes and he, he brings me into my intro class and him and Magno Gamma um, out of Henzo Gracie, Queens now, you know, gave me my intro class and, and I was hooked ever since. It was like human chess. Um, and I just completely fell in love, and it was everything I thought it wasn't. Um, you know, and all my preconceived notions were, were actually completely incorrect. The surf industry is where Dewey and Aubrey came from, and that's important. It informs the way they see the world, where their passion started, and, this will be important later, where they see the future of jiu-jitsu headed. But let's be honest about one thing. If this were just another jiu-jitsu brand, you probably wouldn't be hearing about it on this show. Most of us, if we had the chance, would love a life where we can just surf, train, and travel most of the time. The thing about Kekoa is they want to build a business model that gives more people the chance to do just that. And that stems from Dewey's experience in corporate America. Well, you know, at the beginning, we knew that surf and jiu-jitsu were so similar alike. And at that moment in time, there was not a whole lot of guys that surf, train jiu-jitsu. I think in Hawaii, it always have been. Um, but otherwise, now you look outside Hawaii, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, not a whole lot of guys that surf and train jiu-jitsu. But for us, we found this common parallel culture and also the beauty of it. You know, um, surfing is all nature-based, and there's nothing better than surfing because the moment you ride in a wave, you're actually, you're always in the present. There's not other thought go through your mind except fish, you know, riding that wave. And I find jiu-jitsu the same way. You know, the moment you get on the mat, everything vanishes. Nothing's there except you your game and your opponent, and that's it. In that moment in time, I find it the most, I guess, thrilling. It's like you stay in the now. Your brain is stay in the now and, and becomes extremely, um, I guess, exhilarating. Um, so in 2009, we launched. We failed miserably because we didn't know anything about the Internet. However, um, my boss, you know, kind of go, hey, dude, you know, you're like an executive for us. You know, and you can't have another clothing company. It's kind of a conflict of interest. And he goes, well, you got to really decide what you want to do. And I go, man, as much as I love Kikoa, uh, at that time, you know, I, I felt my job. I love my job. I had an amazing job, but I felt like my job paid for. <laughs> and I could afford to support the family and keep doing what I'm doing. And so we kind of put Kikoa to sleep, kind of put it to bed. And... I got laid off in 2010, and for that two years, 2008, 2010, there was a lot of things I learned, and that's when I realized how ugly corporate greed and leadership in, in, in corporate America. So that's the first time I've kind of experienced that. You know, it was really rude awakening. And then, you know, after a couple of years, you know, looking for a job and work for other company, I didn't really find any fulfillment in my job, so I decided, you know what, let's... Uh, Let's, let's, let's start Kikola again. But I think this time around, because what I've gone through in the recession, I kind of realized I have to do more than just starting a clothing company just to simply make money. Because that's was the beginning of it all. The beginning was, hey, let's start Kikola. Let's, you know, let's sell some clothes. Let's travel. Let's surf. Let's train jiu-jitsu. Let's have fun. But we didn't have any other higher purpose, you know? But after the laid off in 2010 and watched the whole country gone upside down and watched, you know, you know, executive 
make millions of dollars while the rest of the workforce getting laid off. And it was, I just saw a lot of things that was not right, you know, and, and I want to do something about it. So when we relaunched Kakoa, you know, Avi and I kind of look at ourselves and kind of go, okay, what is, what is most important to me and you? What is it that we want to do for the rest of our life? And, the, you know, the, the, the answer was really simple. Um, we love to travel. That's, that's, you know, we love to surf. We love to train jiu-jitsu. And that's the only thing we want out of life, you know, besides being healthy and all that. That's all we want. You know, we, were, we didn't care about material things. We didn't care about having, you know, a big giant house and brand new car. None of that mattered to us. You know, what mattered to us was having the freedom to travel and to do good. So this time around, you know, we, we spent a lot of time kind of talk about, you know, what do we stand for? Who are we? What's all this? So we, you know, shit, we spent a lot of time drink a lot of red wine and a lot of whiskey. <laughs> and through this whole process, you know, let's let's do something that really helped change the way society perceived corporations and capitalism and American corporations. So what we decided to do was, hey, you know what we're going to do? We are actually a, a company for, for profit, but let's use our profit to create change in the community and really help change the world. And that's kind of what we came up with. So what, what does that mean for most people? Um, you know, regular corporation will make, you know, uh, let's say you make $100 million and a year in, you have 10% return on your net income, so that's a million dollars. So a million dollars, if you're a private owner, you get to keep a million dollars. And and if you're a public trade company, you can take that money and keep rolling and growing and do whatever you want with it. And for us, um, we decided let's not do that because, again, our, our core belief of the core way we want to live is not about materialistic things. We want to actually travel and, and kind of do good and spread our passion. So we decided that, you know, we basically create a bylaw within our company that says that no matter what happens for the rest of our lives, as long as we own this company called Kiko Collective, no one, including the founders, can earn more than 12 times of the lowest pay hourly employees for Kikoa live in the United States. So with that, and also had maxed out at $240,000 a year. So what that means is no matter what happened um, for the rest of our lives and no matter who we hire, that one person, that one executive, the one CEO can never earn more than $250,000 a year. By doing that, it just kind of creates a, 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 a core belief system that we're here not to make money for our own personal self. We're here to make money to create changes in the community. So, example, if we have a million dollars in profit, we would first take care of our employees and create any program that we need to really allow employees to be free. What I mean free is a lot of time when you look at our workforce, they're so stressed out about health care, benefits, you know, the kids' education savings, all this stuff. You know, as a company, why don't we take all profit and do that, take care of the employees? So the employee has nothing to do with coming to work, give their best work, be the most creative, the most innovative, and continue to do what they do best, you know, and, and that's, to me, very important. And if we can take the financial worries away and all they do is just create and do great work and get their best work, we're going to be one hell of a company. Second of all, after we do all that, let's take a chunk of that money and kind of go, okay, what are the needs in our community, whatever that is, whether it's education, homelessness, whatever that is. You know, whatever that is, collectively come together and kind of go, okay, um, let's attack it. Let's, let's, let's take our money and let's 
let's find the right cause and the right solution and let's spend the money and let's go after it. You know, let's create change in that. And that's kind of what we want to do. You know, and eventually we want to take our, 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 our company, our brand to the rural country and help uh, all those countries that need help using our business model. That's where the vision of Kekoa as a conscious company comes from. But how are they doing it? How do they plan to expand that vision in the future? I want to tell you all about that. But first, I'm going to get to the heart of what Kekoa is about. And I think that starts with how Dewey named it. Koa, the name Koa itself in Hawaii means warrior, fighter. And the word K means uh, Kekoa is a very common name here in Hawaii. That means, you know, fierce warrior, uh, a fighter, courage. So... Uh, I named Kekoa actually after my dog, and, you know, I didn't have a dog until I was like 38 or 39 years old. I was traveling a lot for work, and my wife came home. She goes, honey, I feel safe when we actually have a dog. So one of the business trips, I came home, there was like 80-pound dog sitting in our house, and he's a puppy. And uh, I looked at him. He's half Akita, but he looks like, you know, a Dalmatian. And uh, she goes, what are we going to name him? I go, Koa. That's the vulgar name, Koa. So, anyway, so we named the brand after my dog, Kikoa. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Work hard, play hard, and do good. That's Jeff Wong trying to summarize what Kekoa Collective is about in one sentence. Jeff has been one of Kekoa's brand ambassadors for a while now, and I'm breaking news here, is actually a new partner in the collective. But if you're outside of Hawaii and you have familiarity with Kekoa, it might be because you've seen an iconic photo of a snorkeler in a jiu-jitsu gi, floating underneath the ocean's surface, looking up his annoyingly perfect abs suspended by the water. Well, that annoyingly perfect ab-having jiu-jitsu guy is Jeff, and I asked him to explain how that photo shoot came about. It really came down to the genius of Brett. Brett's the photographer who did that, and he, um, so he's a professional photographer. Um, he works also as a paparazzi as well on, on uh, Hawaii, and he, but his, a lot of, his biggest, he also does jiu-jitsu, well, he does yoga, but his passion is uh, being underwater. And so I think it was just we had a template of the Kikoa Gi, and he was working on a project uh, just because he's always experimenting with his craft. And so there's this place called uh, Electrics here in Hawaii where it's just beautiful snorkeling. And so he asked me to be a part of it um, to see if – I think he probably got inspired by um, some photographs that he saw. And so I brought the, um, that first mock-up of the Kikoa Gi, uh, to that shoot, and there's a couple times that we almost thought we were gonna sink <laughs> when uh, when we were filming the um, uh, doing those photographs. Like I I dropped quick <laughs> when I was wearing that gi, but um, definitely worth it because the photographs turned out uh, beautiful. If you want to see that photo, it's on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com/cagesideradio, and also on the blog at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can also learn more about the Kekoa Collective and see that photo at kekoacollective.com. 
If you haven't seen the photo, another reason you might be aware of this brand is that this is a big year for the Kekoa Collective. They stepped on the scene at the IBJJF World Championships this year and are poised to make a big splash at Masters Worlds in Las Vegas, and they're doing some things that they don't think have been done before. Aubrey explains a little bit about what has happened so far for Kekoa in 2017, and if you're attending the Masters Worlds, what you might be able to expect. As far as um, IBJJF and, and pairing up with those guys who we absolutely love and adore, they've been so accommodating and so helpful with us, uh, it's, it's been really great. We really look forward to continuing to work with them in the future. Uh, we basically, as you said, we, we showed up at Worlds this past year, and we kind of wanted to test the waters a little bit. You know, we threw some stickers in the goodie bags, we put a couple of our logos uh, around the mats, and, and, and to be able to sit there on the sidelines and see our logos popping up was like, it was better than Christmas. Like, it was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I, got, I, I get chicken skin just thinking about it. You know, it was the coolest thing. And then, of course, people are watching Flow Grappling from all around the world, and they're, they're taking photos, screenshots of their TV, and sending it to us. And they're like, dude, did I just see Kikoa? And, you know, we get so excited, you know. And so anyway, so we, we, we did that, and, and the response was awesome. But the idea behind that was really to kind of plant the seed uh, in the hearts and minds of all the spectators. And then coming into Masters Worlds in Las Vegas, doing this big booth and kind of creating a smaller version of our community space here in Hawaii at the tournament, which is something that's never really been done. So as you know, and most people know, most of the tournaments, you know, people pop up a booth and sell some t-shirts and hats and, and whatnot. And that's cool. That's awesome. But what we want to do is a little bit different. We almost want to make it more of a kind of like a a vibed out store community space where people can come hang out you know we're, we're looking to do a lot of uh, different things to reach out to all the spectators and competitors at the tournament from raffles to a lot of other things that I I don't want to leak quite yet but a lot of really fun cool stuff to connect with the entire audience that's there you know we're, we're really excited about that and again IBJJF has kind of really given us the flexibility to think outside the box and to, to, to move forward with a lot of these things. So we're really stoked on that. This tournament in, in Vegas in a couple weeks, you know, the Masters World, is supposed to be the largest, with the exception of, I believe, Europeans, um, it's supposed to be the largest jiu-jitsu tournament to ever take place. Uh, it, it filled up faster than ever. Um, they've given it more space than ever. I believe there's going to be 24 four or 26 different mats that people will can be competing on so this has never been done and to be able to be on 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 such a stage and to kind of share our concept we're just really excited and and you know we can't wait you know we, we will be able we believe we'll be able to reach people from all around the world and and no better place to do it you heard aubrey mention their community space in hawaii that's something that's really important, and I think something that's a little bit different about Kekoa, and I think it helps to explain some of their business model. So yes, they have a storefront in Hawaii, and yes, you can buy goods there, and you can train jiu-jitsu there, but it's also important to note that it's open to other community projects. You know, we've done something that's extremely out of ordinary for typical retail stores. You know, we actually take a retail footprint, and we dedicate a third of it to the community and our space itself, like here, you know, in Hawaii, our space is actually open to everyone to use. So we actually have yoga teacher that comes here three to four times a week to teach yoga to the community and it's all donation based. We have 
dancer that needs space to practice their dance. We have senior citizens come in. We have you know pregnant women to use it for all kinds of uh, exercise and, and, and whatever the community needs. That's kind of been our space. And most importantly, you know we we want to encourage other academies come and use our space to train, to roll, just to share the passion on the mat. And that's that so far has been kind of the, the catalyst bringing everybody together in their own space. So, so basically, when the spot's not being used, so when that space in our, in our store is not being used for yoga, we transform it into uh, a jujitsu area. So we bring out all these mats, although, you know, a side note, our new space that we're going to be opening uh, very soon, in a couple weeks, is actually going to have a yoga studio upstairs and a jujitsu area downstairs, so they'll be fixed. But the way we had it uh, up until late was, you know, if there was no yoga going on, we'd bring the mats out. And it was super cool because basically it was kind of an open mat jujitsu area, which was free to the public uh, anytime anybody wanted to use it. Gi, no gi, big, tall, beginners, advanced, you know, whatever that is. You know, and our kind of mantra was always leave your ego at the door, you know, come in and, and have a great time. And it was really neat because people would come in from all different academies, people visiting from all over the world because, you know, Hawaii is a destination place. And even though we all go on these vacations, maybe not as many as we'd like, but we all go on these vacations, um, we still want to train jujitsu. And, and jujitsu is always in the back of our mind. And, you know, it's funny, I, I was learning more and more how many people actually travel and bring their geese with them. So it was really neat because people kind of kept their ear to the ground and found out that we had this community space where they could just call up and reserve the space for themselves and a partner or a couple friends or just drop on in, cruise by the shop, hang out, watch a couple surf videos or jujitsu, you know, on the couch, on the TV, and then people, other people would come in to train and they would all just train together and, and kind of talk techniques and, you know, we, we called it like the lab because everybody would get together and, and really turn it into a bit of a science, which was really neat. And it was so nice because, you know, there's a, a, a really an interesting shift going on in jiu-jitsu right now where, you know, it used to be so segregated uh, with your teams and your this and your that. And, and one of the most beautiful things that's starting to happen, and we're really trying to capitalize on this, is kind of bringing everybody together. And kind of instead of, yes, everybody has their school flag, but what is the most important flag? Well, the most important flag is the jiu-jitsu flag as far as that's concerned but just kind of the aloha flag and here the Hawaii flag and you know the more people we can get together and share our passion for jujitsu with the more people will then go and share that with somebody else and, and that's really what we're looking to achieve so we just wanted to really create a place where people could come feel comfortable know that they're welcomed not judged and, and just have a really great time you know and that was the store and it really kind of escalated and snowballed and turned into something really beautiful and still growing yet you know, so we're really stoked and optimistic for what this new space brings and what the future brings. You just heard Aubrey talk about the new space they're creating, and we'll post photos of that upcoming space in progress to our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com and on our Facebook page. But I asked Dewey one question about their old space and how they've used it that I really want to, you to hear the answer to. So I know that you all have done a lot of events in your old space and that you're moving into a new space now, and some of those events involved you know, community stuff, but also helping out local food banks and, uh, and local homeless folks. Do you see yourself doing a lot of that in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of who I am. I think it's part of who we are. I mean, you know, I, I, I was an immigrant. I am an immigrant. <laughs> Actually, I came here when I was 11 years old. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's just who we are. I mean, it's, it's something that I feel deeply connected to, I feel deeply responsible to. So we're definitely going to be part of our community on a regular basis for sure. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. I've been thinking about submission-only tournaments. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So it seems to me that submission-only is a pretty cool mix of self-defense and sport jiu-jitsu, where you get to be in a relatively safe environment, but really put your skills to pretty direct test. Is that your read? I think that's accurate. All rule sets have value, and you get different things out of different tournament rule sets, whether they be points, whether they should be submission-only, whether they be modified submission-only. But there are two things about true submission-only that make it really interesting. First, it's a true outcome. You might lose in a points tournament because either you didn't understand the rules or the other person played to the rules better or the rule set was more optimized to their game. But if you step on the mat with another person and the only way it ends is one of you taps, there are no time limits or no excuses. And so that's the true submission only format that U.S. grappling runs. The other thing about submission only is there is an incredibly empowering thing about surviving an encounter with another human being who is trying to choke you or bend your limbs the wrong way. And that's a real proxy for self-defense. Jiu-jitsu is about survival and so is submission only jiu-jitsu tournaments. So I guess we'll see you at U.S. Grappling's submission-only tournament in Raleigh on July 29th. Can't wait to see you there. I'll be there. You should, too. So Kekoa wants to be a conscious company, and they have a vision for that. But how does this vision actually work in practice? How does it benefit the average Jiu-Jitsu Academy owner, and how does it benefit the scene in places that are far removed from Hawaii? We're going to have Kekoa's chief storyteller, Dewey, talk about that idea. I mean, that, that's to me, that's part of the, kind of almost like the footprint of the brand. You know, when we, when we relaunched Kekoa, you know, Aubrey had to really look deep inside and kind of go, what are we standing for? And are we willing to put, you know, money where our mouth is? And our thoughts were, well, for us to really help and support the industry. We have got to help the economy continue to grow. And what does that look like? So what we decided to do was to give 10% back of every revenue um, that came from the school. So what that does provide like a free scholarship for school to provide to their students, whether it's help them with tuition, help them with gi, help them with whatever that is so they can continue to grow in their craft. And part of that money will come back from Kikoa and we don't want to be known for it. We want to be the silent guy. We want that scholarship to come back to represent the school itself. And we don't want any credit for it. We just want to be the quiet guy behind it to quietly support uh, the industry and the people in it. And that's the whole, I mean, it's, it's super easy, but like overall wise, that was our goal. Our goal was, hey, for us to really grow the industry, we have to be the biggest proponent to continue to support and help the school grow. And that's how we all going to grow. The concept is this. There isn't a pie that never gets bigger, and once it's eaten, that pie is gone forever. When brands reinvest in other academies in the jiu-jitsu community, the pie itself grows. And really, who doesn't like more pie? So that's the idea. But here's Aubrey explaining how they're trying to implement that idea in practice. Basically, what we did was we, we started in Oahu, um, and then we started shifting over to California, um, New York and, and Florida. And we started pairing up with, and ha- basically having little meetings with the, the school owners and the head black belts. 
you know, a couple examples in Oahu would be, you know, Cabrinha Jiu-Jitsu, H&L Jiu-Jitsu, Kahala, you know, Mad Tiger, a couple of the health and Gracie schools that are around. And in California, you know, there's a, a bunch of different academies as well that have been extremely supportive. You know, and we sat down with these guys and, and we kind of told them our mission. And it was so funny because at first, everybody's reaction is, is kind of the same for the most part. They're like, wait, so you're just going to send us a check in the mail for what? And, and, and they don't get it. They laugh and they look at us like we're crazy. And then we explain it maybe another way. And they're like, what? That's, that's nuts. And we said, well, no, it's not nuts. It actually really makes sense. You know? and, and that kind of ties back to everybody paddling in the same direction. Um, so again, like Dewey said, you know, we sit down with the professor and, you know, and, and the school owner and we say, hey, you know, we'd love to put up a little poster in your academy. It's like 11 by 14 and a couple flyers. And every flyer has a promotional code on it. And, it, and on the flyer and the poster, it explains our RevShare program. So they know exactly what's happening. Again, always all hands above the table. And um, basically, you know, every flyer has a promotional code for that school and for that school only. And any friends or family or students that use that promotional code and go on our website or come in and shop in one of our community stores, they enter in that code and then we kick back 10% of total purchases back to that school at the end of the month or every two weeks. We just ask that they then take that check and reinvest it back into their students, their community, or their school. Um, and again, like Dewey said, we don't, we don't care. They don't need to know it came from us. We're not looking for accolades and things like this. You know, we're just looking to do the right thing and give back to a community that has given us, you know, boundless opportunity to grow as human beings. You know? And so far, the, the rev share has been outstanding. And, and I'd say 98% of the schools that we've approached have adopted it with open arms and been extremely supportive. And we are so grateful. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotter Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. Remember how both Dewey and Aubrey have their roots in the surf industry? They talked to me a little bit about the origin of that industry and its competition history, and I think the way they did so helps explain the way they see the Kekoa brand's role in making sure that jiu-jitsu athletes can make a living. You know, surfers back in the day, you know, in the 60s and 70s, they would travel all over the world, and they would end up here in Hawaii, the North Shore, and they compete in one of the most prestigious contests. When it's all over said and done, they get a trophy, and they're lucky they get a check for two or three hundred dollars. And if that doesn't sound familiar to you right now in the last five or ten years in Jiu-Jitsu, I don't know what it is. So until the industry, until all the brands and all the partners come together and legitimize and build an industry where the athlete themselves can make a living, and by that, the whole industry grows and everybody in it wins. And I think that's what we're seeing, the similarity between surf and Jiu-Jitsu. Until all of us come together, whether we school, 
gee brand owners of different apparel come together and really support the athlete and the industry itself and think once that happens, you know, when the athlete can get up in the morning knowing they can just simply compete for the love of the game and they can actually put food on the table and, and have rent, um, then they can actually beginning to have a real direction as, as an industry. Global ambitions are one thing, and changing a whole industry is a big ambition. But it's important for companies like individuals to remember the place they came from. This is especially true when the place you come from is as special as Hawaii, and believe me, the Kekoa Collective guys haven't forgotten that either. If you're a black belt jujitsu professor, just a heads up, you may want to listen especially carefully for the next couple of minutes. You know, as much as we, we strive for our goals to be a global brand and by the end of the day, you know, since we are based out of Hawaii, you know, we all believe it's really important to take care of the community that we do business in. And so for Hawaii itself, um, it's always going to be a, basically a home. So therefore, we want to water on grass. We want to be able to take care. That's really important to us here. But our goal is eventually have these community centers throughout the United States and hopefully eventually throughout the world. Because we don't want to be... You know, we, we, we do these things so we can bring communities together and like minds together. So we envision have one in, you know, hopefully ideally in California and Florida and Colorado, area that has the similar lifestyle that we all love. So that's kind of our goal. We, we want to kind of send the message out there that any professor out there, you know, happens to, you know, if they want to come to Hawaii, man, they, they have a space they can do seminar in, you know, and. I have an extra bedroom, they're more welcome to stay with us, you know, it's, it's really that kind of environment, it's really that kind of space. So, you know, I think everyone, you know, should visit Hawaii once in their lifetime, because I think they will, they'll be a changed human, because it's, it's a rather special place. I'm not sure how much convincing anybody needs on that point, but I still think it's useful to talk to somebody that didn't found the brand, but came along later and became a partner, to talk about the vibe, the energy, and the general aesthetic of the Kekoa Collective in Hawaii. So here's Jeff Wong doing just that. Most importantly, we feel the energy and this positive energy that when everyone, anyone walks through that door, like, it's infectious. Um, it, you see people where... You know, Dewey and Aubrey had mentioned it earlier that people are able to train with each other for the first time. There's a couple of examples that we saw on the Kikoa mess where family members, like relatives, were able to train for the first time because otherwise, because of, you know, school rules and that sort of thing that they weren't before. Um, the people that who, you know, meet um, Dewey and Aubrey and then see the sort of energy in the shop and it, it just creates this, uh, it's just something that you want to be a part of, you know, you, you, it's almost like following your passion, like with, with surf, for me it's been jujitsu and now being able to be a part of this brand, it's, it's a no-brainer. So the space and the partners are all rooted in a very specific place, Hawaii. That doesn't mean they've stopped dreaming about global impact. The Kekoa Collective is a for-profit business that builds social responsibility into their business model. If that works in Hawaii, why can't it work in California or New York? Why can't it work elsewhere in the world? These are the kinds of things that Dewey thinks about regarding the company's future. 
imagine you work for a company that has offices all over the world, and most of these places belong, you know, on the ocean or somewhere up in the mountain. What is what is absolutely beautiful. You can surf, you can hike, you can do all that. So the selfish reason start off from that, and we kind of go, well, what if we take American dollars and profit, and we go to a third world country? Let's say Nicaragua, for instance. We go to Nicaragua. We can actually go go to a town. A small tourist town, we can buy a little land and we can build ourselves a little academy, not academy, but like the same thing we do here. And we have a little store. Like a community Yeah, a community, like a community center. And next to we have a little restaurant. The whole idea is how do we go there, right? And basically um, hire and make, you know, a, a local chef, part owner of the restaurant. We buy nothing but local organically grown from that from that region, from that city, from that town. We cook it, we cater to the tourists. And also, like all tourist towns in the world country, no matter where you go, there, there's, there's craftsmen, there's people out there that make, whether it's hats, scarves, whatever that is. And what we want to do, we want to go there. Instead of have these guys or these women walking down the, up and down the tourist boulevard and selling, you know, in the heat, you know, 10 or 20 hats a day, making $20 a day, we want to go there and go, I tell you what, we'll buy... X amount of hats from you, and therefore you're guaranteed this, you know, percentage of sales every single month. All you have to do is provide those hats. You no longer have to walk in the street and do all that. In return, we take those hats, we sell it online, and sell it in our community store, and convey to the public that any moment in time you buy these things, you're actually supporting somebody, a mom, yeah, a mom, a dad, actually spend more time to be with their family and kids, and they're not sitting there at home alone. And, and just to struggle, just to make a living. So that's what we want. Secondly, imagine, you know, to have an apartment and a place to do yoga and train jiu-jitsu and surf. And for a yoga teacher or a jiu-jitsu professor can come and stay there for a whole month. And he or she does not need to pay rent. You know, the donation comes from the classes and the seminar, whatever that is. They can live there for free for a year, for a month, whatever that is. And all they do is teach their passion in return, they can experience a whole different culture and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to have that all over the world be kind of neat. And second of all, we can actually take that money in that village, in that community, and do something good, whether help with education, help with health care, help with environment issue, whatever that is. And that's kind of what we want to do. That's the vision for the future, and it's an ambitious vision. But every dream starts in the past and is developed in the present. And so to close the show, I'm going to let Aubrey Koenig talk about what's happening with Kekoa now and what particular vision they have for the future of the jiu-jitsu industry. Fast forward, you know, many years, we, we left this company at two different times, but we both left the company, worked a couple odd jobs, uh, kept training jiu-jitsu, kept moving around from New York to California for me, you know, then to Hawaii and, and do it Hawaii. And we said, you know what, now's the time. You know, let's let's bring this dream uh, back to fruition and really make something beautiful happen. It was the perfect time in our lives to, to kind of plant the seed um, and and put 100% of our, our passion and effort into this project that we truly believed in. And that's exactly what we did. Um, we started printing tees, hats, doing this, that, and, you know, uh, combining that with uh, a lot of dreams and, and a lot of hopes of how we could infuse again what we learned in the surf industry into this jujitsu industry which is so young uh, and it's in, in its infancy uh, which is a really beautiful thing because we believe if, if we can collectively um, bring uh, an, 
people together in this industry, basically, and we can all paddle the same direction, uh, we can really create something amazing, you know, and, and everybody can win and, and everybody can profit. And when I say everybody can profit, I don't mean that in a monetary sense. I mean, everybody can profit in the sense of we can really help grow jujitsu and bring it uh, as mainstream as possible without diluting it and turn it into the industry that we see uh, the potential that it can be. That's our show for the week. You can learn more about the Kekoa Collective at kekoacollective.com and see photographs from this show at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash cagesideradio, or our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com slash blog. My thanks to Jeffrey Huang for arranging the interviews, to Dewey Doan and Aubrey Koenig for their time. The co-hosts of the show are Lourdes Cantu and Betsy O'Donovan. Our Patreon supporters this month are Betty Broadhurst, Chris Holmes, Carl Krebs, and Cody Malte. Thanks so much for your support. You can join them in supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we will be back next week. See you then.